Hi everyone, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, Chapter 13. Robin Hood Compasses a Marriage. Compasses. I haven't heard the word used that way before, but okay. And now... Ah, sorry. And now had come the morning when fair Ellen was to be married, and on which Mar and on which Mary Robin had sworn that Alan Adale should, as it were, eat out of the platter that had been filled for Sir, Sir Stephen of Trent. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a fun way to put it. Up rose Robin Hood, blithe and gay, uh, and up rose his merry men one and all, and up rose, last of all, stout Friar Tuck, uh, winking the smart of sleep from out his eyes. Then, while the air seemed to brim over with the song of many birds, all blended together and all joying in the misty morn, all joying, like having joy, not joining, which it kind of sounds like, all joying in the misty morn, each man raved face and hands in the leaping brook, and so the day began. Now, quoth Robin, when they had broken their fast, breakfast, first breakfast, clearly, and each man had eaten his fill, it is time for us to set forth upon the undertaking that we have in, that we have in hand today. I will choose me one score of my good men to go with me, for I may need aid, and thou, Will Scarlet, wilt abide here and be the chief while I am gone. Then, searching through all the band, each man of whom crowded forward eager to be chosen robin called such as he wished by name until he had a score of stout fellows the very flower of his yeomanry <laughs> the very flower of his yeomanry okay that like it's yeoman and then r-i-e at the end yeomanry um besides little john and will stutely were nigh uh were nigh all those famous lads of whom I have already told you. Then, while those so chosen ran leaping full of joy to arm themselves with bow and shaft and broadsword, Robin Hood stepped aside to, or into the covert, and there donned a gay, beribboned coat such as might have been worn by some strolling minstrel, and slung a harp across his shoulder, the better to carry out that part. All the band stared and many laughed, for never had they seen their master in such a fantastic guise before. Truly, quoth Robin, holding up his arms and looking down at himself, I do think it be somewhat of a gay, gaudy grasshopper dress. I don't know what a grasshopper dress is, but oog. Okay. But it is a pretty thing for all that, and doth not ill befit to the turn of my looks, albeit I wear it, uh, but for the nonce. I don't know. But, you know, I'm only wearing it for now. But stay, little John. Here are two bags that I would have thee carry in thy pouch for the sake of safe keeping. I can ill care for them myself beneath this motley. Why, master, quoth little John, taking the bags and weighing them in his hand. Here is the chink of gold. Well, what, what in there be said Robin, it is mine own coin, and the band is none the worse for what is there. Come, busk ye, lads. And he turned quickly away. Get ye ready straight away. Then gathering the score together in a close rank, in the midst of which 
were Alan Adale and Friar Tuck. He led them for not forward. He led them forth upon their way from the forest shades. I'm reminded as I often am of a random thing that is not the book, um, video game called Baldur's Gate where, um, you, uh, you can direct your party. Uh, you have several people who, um, who move along with you and you can have them either stay put and then move away from them. Or sometimes they just, you know, aren't quite as fast as you. Um, so when you get to the edge of a map and you're ready to go to the next place, uh, like you're leaving a town or something, um, if your people are lost or stuck or just being slow, it'll say, gather your party before venturing forth. And I can't say it, you know, perfectly, but, um, it's in a, the, the, the narrator of the game is this really low, this really low voice. It's like, you must gather your party before venturing forth. And that the, he led them forth upon their way <laughs> made me think of that. Plus the fact that, you know, the setting is a similar, similarly medieval situation here. But. So they walked on for a long time till they had come out of Sherwood and to the Vale of Rotherstream. Rotherstream? Here, uh, here were different sights from what one saw in the forest. Hedgerows, broad fields of barley corn, pasture lands uh, rolling upward till they met the sky, and all dotted over with flocks of white sheep. Hayfields whence came the odor of uh, new-mourn hay that lay in smooth swaths over which skimmed the swifts in rapid flight. Such they saw, and different it was, I wot, from the tangled depths of the sweet woodlands, but full as fair. Thus Robin led his band, walking blithely with chest thrown out and head thrown back, snuffing the odors of the gentle breeze that came drifting from over the hayfields. Instead of woods, they're in farmland. <laughs> um, my, uh, my wife grew up in a state with lot, mostly farmland and flat and treeless. And we met in another state that was similar. And then I took her to uh, where I went to college uh, or where I had been or where I had gone to college. This was after I graduated and she was so amazed by how many trees there were. <laughs> and then recently I heard someone talk about this, someone else having the same situation <laughs> on a podcast. So here it is. I'm mentioning this again <laughs> on a different podcast, but um, yeah, like moving from the woodlands to the farmland uh, in this case, you know, the reverse of, uh, of my wife's own situation. Truly, quoth he, the dear world is as fair here as in the woodland shades. Who calls it a veil of tears? Methinks it is but the darkness in our minds that bridge bringeth gloom to the world. For what saith that merry song thou singest, little John? Is it not thus? You know I'm not going to sing. For when my love's eyes do thine, do thine, and when her lips smile so rare, the day it is... 
That doesn't seem to fit the rhythm. The day it is jocund and fine, so fine that, yeah, I would say the day it's jocund and fine, so fine, but whatever. Though let it be wet or fair, and when the stout ale is all flowing so fast, our sour, our sorrows and troubles are things of the past. For when my love's eyes do thine, do thine, the day, the day it's jocund and fine, so fine, yeah. And when the stout ale is all flowing, so yeah, and it wouldn't match that. And when the stout ale is all flowing so fast, our sorrows and troubles are things of the past. Yeah, that makes okay. Just trying to get my rhythm right. Nay, said fair Friar Tuck, piously, uh, you do not think of profane things, and if not else, yet truly there be better safeguards against care and woe than ale drinking and bright eyes to wit, fasting and meditation. Look upon me, have I the likeness of a sorrowful man? At this a great shout of laughter went up from all around, for the night before the stout friar had emptied twice as many canakins of ale as any one of all the merry men. Truly, quoth Robin, when he could speak for laughter. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, yeah, when he stopped laughing, basically, but it was just worded. Yeah, I had to, well, clearly, double take. Um... I should say that thy sorrows were about equal to thy goodliness. So they stepped along, talking, singing, jesting, and laughing, until they had come to a certain little church that belonged to the great estates owned by the rich um, priory of Emmet. Here, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of the priory of Sion from the Da Vinci Code, but then Emmet. And I immediately go to the Lego movie. <laughs> it's like the Priori, this, you know, big deal thing of, you know, totally normal guy who's very not special. But <laughs> here it was that Fair Ellen was to be married on that morn. And here was the spot toward which the yeomen had pointed their toes. On the other side of the road from where the church stood with waving fields of barley around ran a stone wall along the roadside. Over the wall from the highway was a fr fringe of young trees and bushes, and here and there the wall itself was covered by a massive blossoming woodbine that filled all the warm air far and near with its sweet summer odor. Then straight, straightway the yeoman leaped over the wall, leapt over the wall, um, alighting on the tall soft grass upon the other side, frightening a flock of sheep that lay there in the shade so that they scampered away in all directions." stampede uh, here was a sweet cool shadow both from the wall uh, from the fair young trees and bushes and here sat the yeoman down and glad enough they were to rest after their long tramp of the morning now quoth robin i would have one of you watch and tell me when he sees anyone coming to to the church and the one i choose shall be young david of doncaster so get thee upon the wall, David, and hide beneath the woodbine, so as to keep watch. Accordingly, young David did as he was bidden, the others stretching themselves um, at length upon the grass, some talking together and others sleeping. 
Then all was quiet, save only for the low voices of those that talked together, and for Alan's restless footsteps pacing up and down, for his soul was so full of disturbance that he could not stand still, and saving also for the mellow snoring of Friar Tuck, who enjoyed his sleep with a noise as of one sawing soft wood very slowly. Robin lay upon his back and gazed aloft into the leaves of the trees. His thought his thought leagues away, and so a long time passed. Then up spoke Robin, Now tell us, young David of Doncaster, what dost thou see? Then David answered, I see the white clouds floating, and I feel the wind a-blowing, and three black crows are flying over the world, but not else do I see, good master. So silence fell again, and another time passed, broken only, as I have said, first person from the narrator um i remember the narrator like breaking the fourth wall or something or maybe it was first person earlier too i can't remember but um till robin growing impatient spake again now tell me young david what dost thou see by this and david answered i fell asleep no <laughs> um i see the windmills swinging and three tall poplar trees swaying against the sky and a flock of field fares are flying over the hill, but not else do I see, good master. So another time passed, till at last Robin asked young David once more what he saw, and David said, I hear the cuckoo singing, and I see how the wind makes waves in the barley field, and now over the hill to the church cometh an old friar, and in his hands he carries a bunch, a great bunch of keys, and lo, now cometh to the church door. Hopefully he just saw him. <laughs> then up rose Robin Hood and shook Friar Tuck by the shoulder. Come, rouse thee, holy man, cried he. Whereupon, and, er, whereupon with much grunting, the stout Tuck got to his feet. Mary, bestirb thyself, quoth Robin, for yonder in the church door is one of thy cloth. Go thou and talk to him, and so get thyself into the church, that thou mayest be there when thou art wanted. Meantime, little John will stutely, and I will follow thee anon. So Friar, Tuck, Friar Tuck clambered over the wall, crossed the road, and came to the church, where the old friar was still laboring with the great key, the lock being somewhat rusty, and he somewhat, and he somewhat old and feeble. Helloa, brother, quoth Tuck, let me aid thee. So saying, he took the key from the other's hand and quickly opened the door with a turn of it. <laughs> I'm reminded of um, a show that I saw recently that um, is kind of a sketch comedy thing, and there was a there was a character who was older, and he just could not open a door, not a single door. I think like right at the end he opened one door, but um, he kept having to like go around. Uh, go around different ways or jump through windows and stuff. Um, and of course, you know, he'd be struggling with the door, struggling with the door, and someone comes right next to him and just opens the door. I'm reminded of that. Um, Who art thou, good brother? asked the old friar in a high, wheezing voice. Whence comest thou, and whither art thou going? And he winked and blinked at stout friar Tuck like an owl at the sun. Thus do I answer thy questions, brother said the other. My name is Tuck, and I go no farther than this spot. If thou wilt happily but let me stay uh, while 
this same wedding is going forward. Um, it says happily, H-A-P-L-Y. But it feels like he's saying happily. Like, it seems to serve the same purpose. I don't know that it's the same word, but... I come from Fountaindale, and in truth, am a certain poor hermit, as one may say. For I live in a cell beside the fountain, blessed uh, by that holy saint Ethelrada. Ethelrada. Uh, but if I understand aught, there is to be a gay wedding here today. So, if thou midst not, I would uh, fain rest me in the cool shade within, for I would like to see this fine sight. If ever there was a time <laughs> when it was clear <laughs> that the word gay means something different now than it did then. I mean, not not that it doesn't mean, you know, happy and joyous now, but it also means something else. <laughs> there is to be a gay wedding here. That seems unlikely in medieval times. And we've already established that I already forgot her name is marrying a man. So truly thou art welcome, brother, said the old man, leading the way within. Meantime, Robin Hood, in his guise of Harper, together with Little John and Will Stutely, had come to the church. Robin sat him down on the bench beside the door, but Little John, carrying the two bags of gold, went within, as did Will Stutely. So Robin sat by the door. Looking up the road and down the road to see who might come, till, after a time, he saw six horsemen come riding sedately and slowly, as became them, for they were churchmen on high orders. Then, when they had come near, Robin saw who they were, and knew them. The first was the Bishop of Hereford, and a fine figure he cut, I wot. His vestments were of the richest silk, and round his neck was a fair chain of beaten gold. The cap that hid his tonsure was a was of black velvet, and around the edges of it were rows of jewels that flashed in the sunlight, each stone being set in gold. I'm thinking of um oh I can't remember his name. But the the, the villain in the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> That's who I'm picturing right now. The the Disney cartoon. Oh, it's gonna bug me that I can't remember his name. Um Okay. Um each stone being set in gold. His hose, like his hosiery, his tights, uh were a flame cut it I will say it's spelled H O S E, and I would expect it to be H O E S, but okay, whatever. Um maybe I'm wrong, even for the modern spelling, I don't know. His hose were of flame-colored silk, and his shoes of black velvet, the long-pointed toes being turned up and fastened to his knees. Oh, oh, that's extreme. And on either instep was embroidered a cross in gold thread. Beside the bishop um, rode the, the prior of Emmet upon a mincing palfrey. Some kind of horse, I guess. Uh, rich were his clothes also, but not so gay as the stout bishops. Behind these two... Uh, of the higher brethren of Emmet, and behind these again two retainers belonging to the bishop, for the Lord Bishop of, bishop of Hereford strove to be as, as like the great barons as was in the power of one in holy orders. He wants to look rich and be fine, even though he's clergy. When Robin saw this train drawing near, 
With flash of jewels and silk and jingle of silver bells on the trappings of the nags, he looked sourly upon them. Ah, yes, that is exactly who Robin Hood does not like. Quoth he to himself, Yon bishop is over gaudy for a holy man. I do wonder whether his patron, who methinks was St. Thomas, was given to wearing golden chains about his neck, silk clothing upon his body, and pointed shoes upon his feet, the money for all of which God wot hath been wrung from the sweat of poor tenants. Bishop, bishop, thy pride may have a fall ere thou wottest of it. So the holy men came to the church, the bishop and the, pr and the prior, prior, jesting and laughing between themselves about certain fair dames, their words more befitting the lips of laymen, methinks, than holy clerks. Then they dismounted, and the bishop, looking around, presently caught sight of Robin, standing in the doorway. Hello, a good fellow, quoth he in a jovial voice. Who art thou that struttest in such gay feathers? A harper am I uh, from the north country, quoth Robin, and I can touch the strings I wot, as never another man in all merry England can do. Truly, good lord bishop, many a knight and burgher. Clerk and layman have danced to my music willy-nilly, and most times greatly against their will, such as the magic of my harping. <laughs> Thinking of Hocus Pocus, yeah, I put a spell on you, dancing against their will. Um, now this day, my lord bishop, if I may play at this wedding, I do promise that I will cause the fair bride to love the man she marries with a love that shall last as long as that twain shall live together. Ooh, the man she marries, not the man she is set to marry. Ha, is it so? cried the bishop. Meanest thou this is sooth? This in sooth, sorry. Have you heard of soothsayers? Or the term soothsayer? You know, it's like someone who's predicting the future. So he's saying, do you mean this as a prediction? Um, it, it, this is just a weird sentence to me. Meanest thou this in sooth? Like ev almost every word is ye old English or ye middle English, probably. Yeah, middle English. And he looked keenly at Robin, who gazed boldly back again into his eyes. Now if thou wilt cause this maiden, who hath verily bewitched my poor cousin Stephen, thus to love the man she is to marry, as thou sayest thou canst, I will give thee whatsoever thou wilt ask me in due measure. Let me have a taste of thy skill, fellow. <laughs> ah, he's related. Nay, quoth Robin, my music cometh not, uh, not without I choose even at a lord bishop's bidding. In sooth, I will not play until the bride and bridegroom come. Um, I used to read bridegroom as bridge groom because it's so close. Um, the, just a little flip of a couple letters, but, um, not that I, I don't think I'm dyslexic. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, might be part of why I read, weirdly. Step over myself, trip over myself. I'm definitely not nearly as dyslexic as many, many people, though. I'm not going to claim that I am and, you know, ask for pity because of it or something. Um, 
and, uh, you know, claim privilege or something weird like that. Definitely not in a position to do that. Now thou art a saucy varlet to speak so to my crest, quoth the bishop, frowning on Robin. Yet I must needs bear with thee. I must needs bear with thee. Ooh. Look, prior, hither cometh our cousin Sir Stephen and his lady love. And now around the bend, bend of the high road, high road, was one word, came others riding upon horses. Um, so high road uh, refers to the same thing as highway. Um, when the Romans built their roads, one of the things that they did was they would dig up the ground a little bit. And then they would lay certain foundations. And I don't remember exactly, you know, what the foundations are. Um, and like what order they're in and stuff. But um, stuff like, uh, like if you're building a, a deck or not a deck, a patio, uh, like a brick patio, you might read up uh, that you're supposed to like, you're supposed to put sand down and then gravel or gravel and then sand or something like that. Um, and, and pound it to settle it and all that before you lay pavers. That's kind of the same thing, uh, that they did with Romans or with Roman roads, um, of which they made many. Hence the, if you've ever heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome. Um, they were very proud of their network of Rome roads, including those that they made in Britain, because at one point much of Britain, not all of it. Uh, or much of the British Isles was controlled by the Romans. Um, and as part of their building, one of the things that they did, um, so they would dig, they would dig out a little bit, but as they built it, it would end up being higher than, um, than the flat ground around it so that it would drain so that the road wouldn't just have a bunch of puddles and stuff. Um, and it became known as a highway or a high road. You know, it is literally, it, it's called the highway because it is literally physically higher in altitude than the rest of the uh, ground around it. Um, as you know, our highway system often is today. Um, in fact, I remember um, several years ago now uh, driving through floods um, and the interstate that I was on, the interstate highway, uh, if I went off the shoulder, I would have driven into basically a giant lake <laughs> that shouldn't have been there. It was the flood. Um, but because the interstate was higher than the rest of the land around it, it was spared, uh, from this particular flood. So, um, so yeah, the, the high road makes me think of uh, that sort of, you know, building. Um, and a lot of times you'll see roads that are also, um, not flat, uh, uh, like they'll look flat at first, but if you look closely, they're crested, they're curved just to, to drain things off. So, um, and now around the bend of the high road came others riding upon horses. The first of all was a tall, thin man of knightly bearing, dressed in, dressed all in black silk, with a black velvet cap upon his head, turned up with scarlet, not will scarlet, 
No, it's not Will Scarlet. Robin looked and had no doubt that this was Sir Stephen, both because of his knightly carriage and of his gray hairs. <laughs> Beside him rode a stout Saxon Franklin, Ellen's father, Edward of Deerwold. Direwold? It's D-E-I-R uh, W-O-L-D. <laughs> Depending on where the word origin. Um, uh, I know. Usually if I see E and I together, I interpret it the German way. So E-I would be I, like Einstein. Um, and then I-E would be pronouncing it E. Um, of course, I can't think of any examples right now. But, um, yeah. So I'm going to say Edward of Direwold, or Direwold, if you want to get super German about it. Behind those... Two came a litter, a litter borne by two horses, and therein was a maiden whom Robin knew must be Ellen. Beside this litter rode six men-at-arms, the sunlight flashing on their steel caps as they came jiggling up the dusty road. Man, she has quite the entourage, and this is going to be interesting to have her marry the other person. <laughs> marry the wrong man. So these also came to the church, and there Sir Stephen leaped from his horse, and, coming to the litter, handed fair Ellen out therefrom. Then Robin Hood looked at her, and could uh, wonder no longer how it came about that so proud a knight as Sir Stephen of Trent wished to marry a common Franklin's daughter. I'm not sure what a Franklin is. Um, you know, besides, you know, Benjamin and various other things. Um, let's see. A landowner of free but not noble birth. Well, there we go. <laughs> Nor did he wonder that no ado was made about the matter, for she was the fairest maiden that ever he had beheld. Shh. Marion might hear. Of course, he might not have met Marion yet, so... <laughs> now, however, she was all pale and drooping like a fair white lily snapped at the stem, and so, with bent head and sorrowful look, she went within the church, Sir Stephen leading her by the hand. "'Why dost thou not play, fellow?' quoth the bishop, looking sternly at Robin. "'Mary,' said Robin calmly, "'I will play in greater wise than your lordship thinks, but not till the right time hath come,' said the bishop to himself, while he looked grimly at Robin. "'When this wedding is gone by,' I will have this fellow well whipped for his saucy tongue and bold speech. Saucy varlet. Or something like that. Um, okay. And now fair Ellen and Sir Stephen stood before the altar, and the bishop himself came in his robes and opened his book. Whereat fair Ellen looked... Whereat. That's a word I haven't read before, or I don't remember reading before. Whereat fair Ellen looked up and about in her bitter despair, like the fawn that finds the hounds on her haunch. Then, in all his fluttering, er, fluttering tags and ribbons of red and yellow, Robin Hood strode forward. Three steps he took from the pillar whereby he leaned, and stood between the bride and bridegroom. Let me look upon this lass, he said in a loud voice. Why, how now? What have we here? Here be lilies in the cheeks, and not roses such as befit a bonny bride. This is no fit wedding, thou, sir knight, so old, and she so young, and thou thinkest to make her thy wife? I tell thee it may not be, for thou art 
not her own true love. At this all stood amazed, and knew not where to look, nor what to think or say, for they were all bewildered with the happening. So, while everyone looked at Robin as though, uh, as though they had been changed to stone, he clapped his bugle horn to his lips and blew three, ba- three blasts so loud and clear, they echoed from floor to rafter as though they were sounded by the trump of doom. Then straight away little John and Will Stutely came leaping and stood upon either side of Robin Hood and quickly drew their broadswords, while a mighty er, the while a mighty voice rolled over the heads of all. Here be I, good master, when thou wantest me, for it was Friar Tuck that so called from the organ loft. <laughs> and now all was hubbub and noise. I always liked that word, hubbub. Also, hullabaloo. Stout Edward strode forward raging, and would have seized his daughter to drag her away, but Little John stepped between them and thrust him back. Stand back, old man, said he. Thou art a hobbled horse this day. Down with the villains, called Sir, er, cried Sir Stephen, and felt for his sword, but it hung not beside him on his wedding day. Oops. Then the men-at-arms drew their swords, and it seemed like that blood would be wet, er, and it seemed like that blood would wet the stone. Uh, to me, I would read, and it seemed like blood would wet the stones, or, and it seemed that blood would wet the stones, but not both, and it seemed like that blood would wet the stones. But suddenly came a bustle at the door, and loud voices, steel flashed in the light, and the crash of blows sounded. The men-at-arms fell back, and upon the aisle came leaping eighteen stout yeomen, all clad in Lincoln green, with Allen a Dale at their head. In his hand he bore Robin Hood's good stout trusty bow of yew, and this he gave to him, kneeling the while upon one knee. Then up spake Edward of Direwood, or Direwold, sorry, in a deep voice of anger. Is it thou, Allen a Dale, that hath bred all this coil in a church? Nay, quoth Mary Robin, that have I done, and I care not who knoweth it, for my name is Robin Hood. For my name is Robin Hood. At this name a sudden silence fell. The prior of Emmet and those that belonged to him gathered together like a flock of frightened sheep, when the scent of the wolf is nigh, while the bishop of Hereford, laying aside his book, crossed crossed himself devoutly. Now heaven keep us this day, said he, from that evil man. Nay, quoth Robin, I mean you no harm, but here is fair Ellen's betrothed husband, and she shall marry him, or pain will be bred to some of you. Then up spake stout Edward in a loud and angry voice. Now I say nay, I am her father, and she shall marry Sir Stephen and another. For some reason, well, obvious reason, I'm reminded of uh, speak now and forever hold your peace. <laughs> now all this time, while everything was in turmoil, turmoil about him, Sir Stephen had been standing in proud and scornful silence. Nay, fellow, he said coldly, thou mayest take thy daughter's, er, thy daughter back again. I would not marry her after this day's doing, could I gain all merry England thereby. I tell thee plainly, I loved thy daughter, old as I am and would have taken her up like a jewel from the sty, yet, truly, I knew not that she did love this fellow and was beloved by him. Oh, he's a nice guy. It's the dad that's a jerk. 
Maiden, if thou dost rather choose a beggarly minstrel than a high-born knight, take thy choice. I do feel it shame that I would thus stand talking amid this herd, and so I will leave you. Thus saying, he turned, and, gathering his men about him, walked proudly down the aisle. Then all the yeomen were silenced by the scorn of his words. Only Friar Tuck leaned over the edge of the choir loft, and called out to him ere he had gone. Good den, sir knight. I'm not sure what den means there, but, you know, it, maybe it's because uh, a den is can be, you know, a house or something. So maybe he's saying, um, well, like the opposite of a pox on your house. That's my guess. Thou wattest old bones uh, must all must always make room for young blood. Not always. Always. Sir Stephen neither answered nor looked up, but passed out from the church as though he had heard not, his men following him. I like Sir Stephen. Well, kind of. You know, he was going to take a wife who was kind of too young for him. But he respects her, and did not know, <laughs> did not know that she wanted to marry someone else. So, he, uh, respected the decision. Now, maybe he's making a big show of it, and he actually did know before, and uh, is just now trying to, you know, li leave with as much dignity as possible or something, but, you know, right now at least he's making the right call. Then the Bishop of Hereford spoke hastily, I too have no business here, and so, and so will depart. And he made as though he would go, but Robin Hood laid hold of his clothes and held him. Stay, my lord bishop, said he. I have yet somewhat to say to thee. The bishop's face fell, but he stayed as Robin bade him, for he saw he could not go. Then Robin Hood turned to stout Edward of Deerwold, and said he, Direwold, sorry, and said he, Give thy blessing on thy daughter's marriage to this yeoman, and all will be well. Little John, give me the bags of gold. Look, farmer, here are two hundred bright golden angels. Give thy blessing, as I say, and I will count them out to thee as thy daughter's dower. Dower. Not dowry. Dower. Now it's spelled the same. D-O-W-E-R. It's not spelled D-O-U-R like dower. But, I mean, it's similar to a dowry, right? Give not thy blessing, and she shall be married all the same. But not so much as a cracked farthing uh, shall crest thy palm choose. Then Edward looked upon the ground with bent brows, turning the matter over and over in his mind, and he was a shrewd man and one withal that made the best use of a crack that made the best use of a cracked pipkin. So that um so at last he looked up and said, but in no joyous tone, If the wench will go her own gate, let her go. Gate G A I T like the way you walk, you know, if she's going to go her own way, do it. I had thought to make a lady of her, yet if she chooses to be what she is like to be, I have uh, not to do with her henceforth. Nevertheless, I will give her my blessing when she is duly wedded. Um, the, was it? I had thought to make a lady of her. Oh, yeah. And yet, if she chooses to be what she is like to be, I have not to do with her henceforth. That kind of reminds me of that, my favorite line in literature, um, that 
um, that I read several times in the last book, I believe chapter nine of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, um, that uh, the lesson that the Duchess learns, which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> Not that this line, this line makes perfect sense, but um, it's like the Duchess was using some of these same words and you know, going about in the same direction and then just totally tripped over herself. Like I tend to do. Um, oh yeah. I was going to look and see what a pipkin is. A small earthenware pot or pan. Well, there we go. A cracked pot. It may not be spake up, uh, one of those from one of those of Emmet. The bands have not been duly published. Neither is there any priest here to marry them. Yes, there is. How sayest thou? Roared. T oh, how sayest thou? <laughs> Roared Tuck from the choir loft. No priest? Mary, here stands as holy a man as thou art. Any day of the week, a clerk and others. I would have thee now. As for the question of bands, I, I don't know what these bands are. B A N N S. Probably related to banner. Um, a notice read out, oh, three successive Sundays in a parish church announcing intended marriage and giving the opportunity for objections. There we go. The, uh, the public comment section, they're basically saying we have not put this out for public comment, so we're not going to sanction it. Um, as for the question of bands, stumble not over that straw brother for I will publish them. So saying he called the bands and as or, and says the old ballad once again a reference to this being a story not told by the narrator but like retold does that make sense um says the says the old ballad lest three times should not be enough he published them nine times or and by published i think it just means he's proclaiming them right he's not actually writing them in a pamphlet and sending them out and that kind of thing. So saying, Oh, I lost myself. There we go. Then straight away, he came down from the loft and forthwith performed the marriage service. And so Alan and Ellen were duly wedded. I just noticed the names, Alan and Ellen, <laughs> by the way, Alan is back to a L L a N. I don't remember. I, I remember it was spelled different ways in the last chapter. I don't remember which one it settled on. Ellen is E-L-L-E-N. So A-L-L-A-N seems more appropriate, right? Alan and Ellen. And now Robin, and then they'll have a child named Ilin and another named Alon. And Yulian? <laughs> I don't know. That, that seems to be pushing it too much, huh? Let's see. A oh, oh, and Ulun. A-E-I-O-U. What? Yeah, that covered it. And now Robin and... <sighs> I'm reminded, but my wife's name also starts with A. And we joked that we should name our children B names and require them to name their children C names <laughs> and so on. Instead, our children are just both A names. And now Robin counted out... 200 golden angels to Edward of uh, Direwold. And he upon his part gave his blessing, yet not I wot, as though he meant it with overmatch goodwill. 
Then the stout yeoman crowded around and grasped Alan's palm, and he, holding Ellen's hand within his own, looked about him, all dizzy with his happiness. Then at last Jolly Robin turned to the Bishop of Hereford, who had been looking on on at all that passed with a grim look. My Lord Bishop, quoth he, thou mayest bring thy mind uh, that thou did, didst promise me that did I play in such a in such wise as to cause this fair lass to love her husband, thou wouldst give me whatsoever I asked in reason. I have played my play, and she loveth her and she loveth her husband. Has it, has she spoken? <laughs> has anyone actually asked her? People are like, she loves this guy. No, she loves this guy. I want her to love this guy. No, I don't remember Ellen actually saying, yes, I love Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't see it. I might be missing it. Someone should probably talk to Ellen real quick, just, just to be sure. Anyway, she loveth her husband, which she would not have done, but for me. So now fulfill thy promise. Thou hast upon thee that which methinks would, thou wouldst be better without. Therefore I pray thee. Give me that golden chain that hangeth about thy neck as a wedding present for this fair bride. Then the bishop's cheeks grew red with rage and his eyes flashed. He looked at Robin with a fell look, but saw that in the yeoman's face, er, saw that in the yeoman's face which bade him pause. Then slowly he took the chain from about his neck and handed it to Robin, who flung it over Ellen's head so that it hung glittering about her shoulders. Then said Mary Robin, I thank ye on the bride's part, for thy handsome gift, and thou, or and truly thou art, thou, and truly thou thyself art more seeming, more seemly without it. Now shouldst shouldst thou ever come nigh to Sherwood, I much hope that I shall give thee thee there such a feast as thou hast ne'er had in all thy life before. Some of these contractions without apostrophes are kind of weird, like shouldst or hadst, and all that. I guess maybe it's not a contraction, now that I think of it. But. May heaven forfend, for heaven forbid, I'm sure, cried the bishop earnestly, for he knew right well what manner of feast it was that Robin Hood gave his guests in Sherwood Forest. But now Robin Hood gathered his men together, and with Alan and his young bride in their midst, they all turned their footsteps toward the woodlands. On the way thither, Friar Tuck came close to Robin and plucked him, plucked him by the sleeve. Thou dost lead a merry life, good master, quoth he, but dost thou not think that it would be for the welfare of all your souls to have a good stout chaplain such as I to oversee holy matters? Truly, I do love this life mightily. At this, merry Robin Hood laughed amain and bade him stay and become one of their band if he wished. That night there was such a feast held in the greenwood as Nottinghamshire never saw before. To that feast you and I were not bidden, and pity it is that we were not. So, lest we should feel the matter of the, uh, of the more keenly, I will say no more about it. <laughs> that is a funny way to end the chapter. But okay. Thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly.